you have your copies of Scripture, if you will, turn uh, to 1 Peter. Uh, we're going to continue uh, in our text. Uh, last week we uh, were looking at verses uh, 4 through 10. We want to revisit that uh, again today. This is our seventh week in a 16-week series in 1 Peter. and uh, hope you've been encouraged so far and make a brief comment before uh, we pray uh, for those who are new to Oak Valley and but are not new to the church who may uh, have noticed that we haven't said a whole lot about Mother's Day today and that's not because we don't celebrate motherhood because we do. Some of you are here uh, because you have come to visit your mother uh, and that's good. Um, we are grateful for motherhood we see that under the context of God's sovereign plan for procreation and to bring about his work of redemption. We have all uh, passed through uh, uh, in some way, through the, at least through the, uh, the procreative process, and we have come into being, and then we've passed through the womb of a special woman that God providentially um, uh, planned and prepared for you to come into this world. Um, so we celebrate motherhood in the way that we celebrate womanhood because it is something that has been ordained by God and is a part of his redemptive purpose. Uh, and we are grateful for that. Uh, some of you have had special relationships with your mothers and others of you, maybe your time with your moms uh, were not so special. Uh, but nevertheless, God providentially used her to bring you into being. And we are uh, we're grateful for mothers. God has not granted all ladies uh, to bear children. And that has been a part of his plan as well. So the reason that we see motherhood under womanhood, uh, and we also see that under the great uh, providential work of God. Um, some churches today maybe will uh, take motherhood and will celebrate it, and in the course of that, maybe even will forget about God altogether. Uh, in that case, motherhood has hijacked uh, the worship of God, and uh, we have not wanted that to happen here today. Uh, we want to celebrate God and His goodness, and uh, so we want to say to you, if you're a mother, uh, happy Mother's Day. Um, and uh, if God has not granted that for you, uh, we want to say we bless the Lord for you uh, because you continue to love children and care for children and care for people uh, and uh, that is what is most important in the course of life as we give ourselves and give our lives uh, for the sake of others. Uh, we want to pray this morning uh, for our community. In doing so, I want us to especially remember uh, Cornerstone Baptist Church today uh, and College Acres Baptist Church. They are assembling today, our sister churches, they are assembling today in this community uh, for the final time apart. Uh, next week they will come together as Eastwood Community Church. Uh, and I think that is an incredible thing when we sit and we look at how uh, churches, which in our area, for those of you who don't know, uh, churches have often seen themselves as in competition with each other. So the reason that we pray for our sister churches is because we want to develop a culture here where we don't see ourselves in competition 
with, but we see ourselves in union with our sister churches and the work that God is doing in the community. Uh, but they're assembling today, they're celebrating the past, and they're looking ahead to the future. And I just think it's a, a, a tremendous thing. Uh, we want to pray for them as they go through that with all the emotion and all the things that are going on. And then we want to pray for our community, that our community will be blessed by their union, but that our community will also be blessed by us. And we're going to see again today why, as we revisit our identity, and we look at our purpose and what God intends for us. Uh, so let's pray for them and pray for our community and pray that God will use us in reaching the community uh, in sharing the gospel, the only word of hope uh, and the only hope there is uh, for their salvation. Let's pray together. Father, you are incredibly good and gracious, and we bless your name. We have sought to praise you today, and we have been reminded of your providential ordination of all things. And then we have come to you, and we have said, guide us, lead us. In Christ, you're worthy. You are. You are worthy. Help us today as we run to you. We call on you now on behalf of our community that you would use us in this community to represent you and to help this community see and to know of your glory by the way we live, by the way we act, by the way we talk, by the way we serve. Father, would you pour your grace and mercy on our community in the homes around us today we know there are folks who are still sleeping because today is their day of rest. They're watching television programs. They have planned activities for the day without regard to you. Without regard to your glory. Help us, Father, in helping them see that all of these things, as good as they are, are not what life is about. But that you are. And help them to be able to witness those things in the way that we carry ourselves and in the things that we do. Father, we cry out to you today uh, asking for mercy for them uh, and asking for help for them and asking help for us as we seek to reach them. We thank you today for Cornerstone and College Acres we thank you for the years of ministry of these two churches. Father, would you cause their day to be a rich day for them as they reflect on you? Would you bring to mind in their services of how you have blessed them and the influence that they have been in this community? Father, would you cause them to celebrate that? And then, Father, would you help them as they bring closure to their individual identities as churches and then come together next week as one church. And then, Father, we ask today that you would especially pour your grace and mercy on them uh, as they seek to continue to reach people uh, in this community. Father, would you help us as we seek to partner with them and with other like-minded churches 
who were intent on loving you supremely, loving others sacrificially, and living in the world distinctively. Help us in these things, Lord God, as we seek to walk and live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to Him, meaning Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It is an incredible thing to be created in the image of God. Think about that. As far as we know from Scripture, no other created thing is of that order. No other creature, no matter how intelligent, and, and I thought about that as I was thinking through this, um, back whenever I was growing up as a child, there was a television program called Flipper. Anybody remember that show, Flipper? Flipper was a pretty smart fish, or whatever that was, porpoise. Uh, pretty smart but not created in the image of God as far as we know. Not created in the Imago Dei. No other creature can relate to God in the precise way that He has enabled us to relate to Him. No other creature has been given His Word. No other creature stands that can be conformed into the image of His Son. No other creature is the object of God's affection in the way that man is. We see this even in Genesis in the responsibility that the first man is given and the way that God relates to him in the garden. Think about it. Remember that God charged Adam with obeying his instructions and he put him over the garden to protect it and to keep it. And then God related to him accordingly. So as Adam was obedient, God related to him, and intimacy with God was the norm. That's not true with us. And it wasn't true after Adam's sin. Adam became disobedient, and when he became disobedient, the intimacy ended. It wasn't because God got mad and threw a tantrum of sorts, as if 
I didn't get my way. It was because Adam doubted God. Adam doubted God and then broke trust by disobeying Him. And it resulted in a punishment, a judgment. But it was more than that. It wasn't just a punishment. Something happened. The intimacy was broken. God in time, way before creation, when we speak of eternity, there's not, a, there's not a dot out there that is eternity on this continuum of time. For as long as God has existed, He knew and had planned to create the universe. Think about that for a moment. And create this planet earth so that it would support the life of his image bearers it's an incredible thought he providentially planned for sin and thus establishing the greatest platform for showing his glory we can't even begin to conceive the the intricacies in all of this and then he threw the his son's life the giving of His Son's life for the redemption of man's sin, gifting Him righteousness, a righteousness that would never be tarnished, would show the extent of His glory. And you might think, to whom? Well, the answer is to every created being. He's going to display His glory. We've already seen, as we read uh, earlier in chapter 1, that the angels see the glory of God in this and is waiting, they are waiting to see the consummation of all that God is doing in redemption. We know from Romans chapter 8 that the world itself groans waiting for the redemption of man. So the animals await all of this and all those that God has created are waiting for these things. Things that we have an opportunity to be a recipient of and only those image bearers are able to be a part of receiving this. Paul in writing to the Philippians said this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you see, all image bearers will come to realize that Christ is the one. They will reject Him, those who have rejected Him, and will reject Him even into eternity. But they will know that He is the Son of God. So all of those who have denied that Jesus is the Son, for all of those who have rejected Him as God, for all of those who fail to turn to Him and to give their life to Him, they will recognize Him and they will bow understanding and knowing that He is the Son of God and yet in that will continue to hate Him if they hate Him. But for those who have trusted in Him here, we will love Him into eternity. That's Peter's point. That was Paul's point. 
Last week, we introduced our outline. It's three points. If you were not here, then we'll look at it again. It's Peter is seeking to help the sovereignly called strangers who are scattered, who are called to suffering, understand who they are. He wants them to know, and these were the three points, his identity, their identity, their purpose, and their foundation. We looked at the identity. I want us to review that for just a minute. He sketches out the identity of Christians, and Peter says you are a chosen people. We saw that there in verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a chosen race, in fact. Peter's language he picks up from the Old Testament reference of Isaiah chapter 43, where the Lord says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give nations in exchange for you and peoples in exchange for your life. And then a little bit farther down in chapter 43, we hear this. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me and the jackals and the owls because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland. To do what? Well, to give life. To drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. And this is where Peter's going. That they may proclaim my praise. And then he says, Yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I've not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You've not brought any fragrant calamus for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins, and wearied me with your offenses. I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and remember your sins. No more. Did you hear that? They are a chosen race of people. Not choice. We as believers are chosen, but we are not choice. It isn't that God has looked down upon us in some way and said, man, they're really good. I have to have them for myself. No, He has looked at us and He has said, oh no, they're really bad. They're burdensome. They have burdened me with their sins. But I choose them. I choose them for my sake. And I blot out their transgressions. If you're here today and you're a believer, hear that God has chosen you and He has blotted out. Meaning that He has covered over. Meaning that He has pushed away. Taken care of. Of your sins. And as we have heard earlier, it has come because Jesus Christ has borne the wrath for your sins. God was addressing His people, people that He was getting ready to rescue from exile in Babylon. They've sinned, they've fallen into idolatry, 
but God says He will blot out their sins in the same way that He looks at us, the church, and says, I love you, I have chosen you, I blot out your sins. Notice what else Peter says. He says there, you're a royal priesthood. Peter reaches further back into, if you will, back into the Old Testament text, all the way back to Exodus 19. You know, we just... Uh, we just worked through Exodus and we looked at Exodus 19. Here's what we hear. Just before the giving of the Ten Commandments, this is what we hear. Now, if you obey me fully, keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. So we hear that they are a precious people. They are a treasured possession. Why? Because God has declared them so. And he says, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So he reaches back there. These are the words that you speak to the Israelites. The setting, of course, is the Exodus. God is getting ready to give them uh, this covenant and in the context of the Old Testament, the fact that all the Israelites are royal priests, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be a separate uh, priesthood, but he has said that all of Israel are priests. He establishes a separate priesthood, but he said all of Israel are priests. And notice what he says here to the church. Notice what Peter is reminding these who are chosen and who are scattered. He said you are a royal priesthood. In other words, you are Kings and priests. Kings and priests. Royal priests. Let's think about priesthood for just a minute. The Levitical and Aaronic priest, they foreshadow at least two things when we get to the New Testament. One is that Jesus Christ is our sovereign priest. And we'll think about priests for just a minute, but it's helping us understand what our role is, what our purpose is. Our purpose is to be priest. What did priests do? Well, they mediated between God and man. All priests mediated between man and some deity. It was no different. There were, there were all kinds of priests but God established and set aside His people to be priests, mediators between their world and Himself. To be priests, to mediate, to work for, to point people to Him. Paul had this to say when we're pointing to Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. But here Peter has said that God has said that they are a royal priesthood. But there's a second thing that it points to, and it points to, as we have said, the priesthood of all believers. Uh, Jonathan Lehman, uh, in a recent article that came out in... Um, Nine Marks Journal uh, this week uh, echoed his statements that he 
constantly is saying over and over again uh, regarding believers in the context of church membership says that believers are priests and kings. We well, didn't just draw that out of the air. He got it here. There's a royal priesthood. They are kings and they are priests. And his point is, is that as believers, we hold the same responsibility as Adam. What was Adam's responsibility? Well, being the children of Adam, when God placed Adam in the garden, he placed him there to rule, to reign over the garden, under God, but to rule and to reign, and then to mediate there in the garden between all who would come to mediate back to God, to point to God. And being children of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, we are to rule and to care for what God cares for. And we are to represent God in this world. We don't, we, we don't just live our lives. We are living our lives in display before the world. Sometimes that maybe looks pretty good in your life. Sometimes maybe it doesn't look so good. I was reminded yesterday... Before I set out on a mission, I was a little bit frustrated over some things and won't go into the details, but uh, I, was, uh, I was already calculating what I was going to say when I got to the place that I was going. And uh, I was talking to Jennifer, and Jennifer says, Now, Dad, and she was, and I said, No, no, I'm thinking through it. I said, I'm not going to say the wrong thing. And I don't want to say it in the wrong spirit because I know that my life is on display. Does that mean that just everything is okay? Well, no, if there are problems, we have to address them and deal with them. The point is, is that we're living our lives on display in front of the world. We are to do what? We are to represent Christ. And as we saw last week, we are to offer sacrifices of obedience Pointing others to Him. It's interesting when we think of priests, we think of kind of two things. Kind of functionally, when we look at the Old Testament priesthood, we, we think of these mediators. But even beyond all of that, even beyond all that, we see that there is a work that priests do. Well, what is that work? Well, Paul calculated it this way. Romans chapter 15, listen to these words, verses 14 through 17. He said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God. And listen to this to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And now here's the point. Listen, this is the priestly work. In the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. And then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. In other words, my, my priestly work is... My proclamation of the gospel to those who are lost. That's what priests do. That's what we do. 
there's another element there. Notice what he says. A holy nation. Still part of our identity. We're just rehearsing this. A holy nation. What, what is he talking about? He's talking about God said, I'm holy, therefore you're to be holy. Now I want you to think about that for just a minute. We hear throughout Scripture that there is only one who is holy, and that is God. So if I am to be holy like God, how is that possible? If God is the only one that's holy. Have you ever had that question? How can I be holy? God is the only one that's holy. Well, the holiness that comes upon us is that holiness of being sanctified, separated, and set apart. God is sanctifying, set it, has set us apart, and is continually setting us apart in sanctification, working within us, causing us to look separate, be different than, and being conformed uh, to His Son. God alone is holy, but He has sanctified us and He has set us apart. Believers, I want you to think about this for just a minute. As Peter is writing, these individuals who are sovereignly called, they are scattered, okay? They're strangers in the world. They're scattered and they are suffering. He is reminding them of just how special they are. I think it would help us today to understand that if you're here today and you have trusted Christ, that you are incredibly special. You're special to Him because He has placed His hand upon your life. He has called you. He's called you. And you are His. And then notice what Peter says, a people for His own possession. A people for His own possession. Now we know that God owns everything. God rules over all of the universe. So there is a sense in which everything is God. Nothing exists apart from God. But when he says here that you are God's possession, he's talking about something that is different. He's talking about the fact that God has lovingly chosen you and you are His. That He keeps you. I wrote it this way. God owns everything. He does. He rules over everything. He does. But because He has especially chosen you, the believer, you are His for His keeping. And you are His for His blessing. Now what is our purpose that's what we want to hear. Well, let's look at the next verse. Our purpose is, in the last part of verse 9, is that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So you're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. This is being drawn again from Isaiah chapter 43. Remember what he said? He said, I 
provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Every good thing that has come to you has come to you because God intends you to declare His praises. That's the reason that there is no room for being silent as a believer. That's the reason that as a believer, we will not keep our mouths closed about the things of God and the glory of God. We can't. We can't. Because what He has done in us and what He is doing in us and what He has done for us is the greatest thing in all of the world because He has done that for His glory. We won't remain silent. We won't stay hidden. We won't conceal our love for God. We won't hide our love for God. In fact, I don't believe someone who's been touched by God and who's been awakened and realizes the nature of his and her sin and the intimacy that they did not have and now they have a deep and abiding love for God. I just don't believe that we could remain silent about it. That's the reason when we come in here, we were talking last week about uh, offering sacrifices of praise. That's the reason I believe that when we come in here and we celebrate and we sing and we read Scripture and we pray and we look at each other and we hug each other, there is just something uniquely different about this experience. Now that doesn't mean you come in here all giddy every time. Sometimes you come in here heavy-hearted. But when you look at God's Word, you know where you are, and then you hear the hope and the promise that God has given us in Christ, and it is something that awakens our heart again. It may not change our circumstances immediately, but we do at least understand that God is, in fact, guiding us. And Peter's point is, is in the midst of your suffering. In the midst of all of this, your purpose in this world is to proclaim the excellencies of God. In other words, proclaim that Jesus Christ is precious. Proclaim God's goodness. God Himself is the ground for our praise. Point is, is that we have received all of these privileges in order that we may declare the praises and excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into His light. But there's something else in this text. I want you to look at it. Praise, singing, proclaiming His excellencies. There is a God-centeredness in all of that. Look, if you will. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of God. There's this God-centeredness. There's also this sense of privilege that we have the great privilege to tell people about God. Do you sense that privilege? You know, it only comes because you're chosen. It only comes because God has reached down in the midst of darkness and has awakened your soul and awakened your life. 
And in that, now you can point people to Him. What a great privilege. Priesthood is a privilege with responsibilities, but a great privilege. The people who look to God and point people to Him. The same people that once shook their fist in the face of God are now pointing people to Him and to His glory and to His wonder. But now notice verse 10. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. In other words, once you were not and now you are. Once you were and now you are. Why? Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Peter drawing from because he continues to point back to the Old Testament. Well, he's pointing us back to Hosea. He's pointing us back to Hosea. Remember, remember the burden that Hosea had? You remember his burden? His burden was is that God commanded him to marry Gomer. Commanded him to marry a betrayer. Commanded him to marry an adulteress commanded him to marry a prostitute. And in that, God was going to show him how God himself felt by being betrayed by his people. Turn to Hosea chapter 1 and 2 for just a minute. The latter part of the Old Testament, if you're trying to find your way there, it's after Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. You want to finish it? Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Abaca, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Look at what he says. Verse 6. Well, back up in verse 2. When the Lord, Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So God is commanding him to do something so that he can now begin to understand in some way about God's redemptive work. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of uh, Debalam, and she conceived and bore him a son and the Lord said to him call his name Jezreel for in just a little while I will punish the house of Judah excuse me I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel and I'll put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel and on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel and she conceived again and bore a daughter and the Lord said to him call her name no mercy. Call her name no mercy. In other words, uh, the Hebrew word there was lo uh, ruhamah. Call her name no mercy. Why? For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel. Okay? 
No people. No, no mercy. No mercy. For I'll have no, I will have no more mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or horses or horsemen. In other words, they're not going to be saved by their own power. I'm going to intervene here and I'm going to do something incredible in the way of mercy. Israel, no mercy. And when she had weaned, no mercy, lo ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son, and the Lord said, Call his name, not my people, lo ami, lo ami. Call him lo ami, not my people. No mercy, no people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Hear that? Man, that's strong and striking. Lo Ruhamah, Lo Hami. But he is going to show mercy to some. But then notice at the end of chapter 2, and look in verse 23. Chapter 2 and verse 23. It said, And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. Okay? The one he has just said that he would have no mercy on. He said, I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Now turn back over to First Peter. And let's listen to it in that context again. Once you were not a people, in other words, once you were not my people, but now you are God's people, and once you had no mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now you have received mercy. What was Peter saying? His point is, that judicially you were declared by God to not be a people. Okay? In other words, you were not a people that were special to God in that sense. In other words, you were separated. That is exactly what Paul was saying whenever he was writing to uh, the church at Rome. If you remember Romans chapter 1, through three, Paul is making the argument that Jew and Gentile alike are not a people, that they have all sinned, that they stand guilty before God. In other words, the Jew does not have special provision that the Gentile does not have. They both stand under God's judgment for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he has already made the argument that that means Jew and Gentile. And then look, if you will, turn over to Romans chapter 3 just a minute. And then I want you to hear what he has to say in Romans 3. Verse 21. Well, back up in verse 20. He says, For by works of the law, in other words, the law that the Jews had been given, 
no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now he's bringing everybody under the judgment of the law and thus bringing everybody under that judgment and, and saying that they are all sinners there. Then in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then he says there's no distinction. There's no distinction between the Jew and the Gentiles. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so Peter is coming and saying that the foundation for who you are and for your purpose rests in the grace and mercy of God in Christ Jesus. You were not my people. Now you are my people. You once did not have mercy, but now you have mercy. Remember the opening verses of this letter. To God's elect, strangers, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces, of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And what? And sprinkled with His blood. We have not gotten there yet, but we will. But we have read these passages. Look in chapter 2. Look in verse 24. Christ, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. Everything that we enjoy is God's chosen possession as God's royal priesthood, as God's holy race, His holy nation, holy ethnicity, has been secured by the cross of Christ. By the blood that has been sprinkled upon us, draw back to Exodus. Where the hyssop branch was dipped in the blood and was sprinkled and scattered on the people. And then when the tabernacle was made, the blood was splattered on the altar. Why? For purification, for sanctification, for being set apart. For what? For God's holy work. Why? Because the presence of God was there. His blood has been sprinkled on you, believer. 
setting you apart, sanctifying you for this holy work. What holy work? To proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does that mean for us? It means that we are people who love God supremely. That we love others sacrificially because it was a sacrifice that was made by Christ. Therefore, we sacrifice and we give away our lives. Matthew and I are praying together through Philippians and we were reminded this week of that very thing as we were praying for each other. We will work through that so that we give ourselves in humility to this world and to each other at whatever cost. We don't hold back. No, as a believer, we can't hold back. We don't hold back in self-preservation. It's not about our rest. It's not about our money. It's not about our time. It's about the lives of each other and it's about the lives of others. We live as priests giving ourselves to the work of declaring and proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. That's here in this community. That is wherever God sends us in the world. And my prayer has been and continues to be that in the days ahead that He will send some of us, many of us out to other parts of the world to proclaim the excellencies of God and His glory. Our identity, our purpose, our foundation are all tied to the cross. Once our identity is established, we come together corporately, tying us together, binding us together into these terms as the church. Something bigger than you. Something bigger than me. Something that stands together and holds together that the gates of hell cannot prevail. Do you hear that? That the gates of hell cannot prevail. Why? Because God has granted it so. That's who we are. That is our purpose. And that is the foundation for all of that. I hope you're encouraged. I'm encouraged. I'm convicted. And you know what it does? It gives me hope and causes me to be excited about the days ahead. Because whatever days we have, let's give it to being priests. Let's give it to mediating between God and this community and this world, wherever it is that God places us. Proclaiming and declaring the excellencies of God. And how precious the Lord Jesus Christ is. 
How precious is He? God declared Him precious, the Father. He has the last word. How can I say different about Him? How should I feel different about Him? He was precious enough that the blood that He shed was holy and righteous without blemish, without stain. And that blood was sprinkled over you and made you precious. His body given. Given for what? Given that we might have life. Given that we may be sanctified and given life each day after we profess Him and that life vexing through our bodies because the Spirit of God is there making us temples of the very Spirit of God. Supernatural thing. It's an incredible thing. And the table points us to that as we give consideration of the death that He died for us that we may enjoy all of those privileges. The greatest of which I would say that as long as we're living here is to be able to declare His goodness. So we come to the table, be reminded of this, and celebrate. If you're a believer here today, you've trusted Christ, you've been baptized, uh, you're in good standing with your church, and in as much as you know you're at peace with uh, all men, as much as is uh, as, as you can be, uh, we want to invite you to come and come to the table and just celebrate the day. Uh, this is not a sad time. My goodness, this is a, a glorious time. Uh, you can do so by coming after I pray. Uh, just come to the table, receive the elements, uh, go back to your seat, and, and we'll partake of them together. Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank You that You have chosen. Thank You that You have called. Thank you today, Father, that you continue to call. That even here today that you're drawing people to yourself. And Father, as we come to the table, cause our hearts to just burst forth in joy because of who we are and the great privilege that we have because of what Christ has done on the cross and in His resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you come?